2 Timothy chapter 4, we've come as far as, as verse 5. Uh, we'll be looking at verse 6 down through the end of the chapter this morning. Uh, just by way of reminder, uh, Timothy, uh, the book of Timothy was written not by Timothy, but by the Apostle Paul. This is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote, or the last letter that he would have written in the New Testament. He's writing this from prison in Rome. He's, he's perhaps weeks, within a few months, you know, maybe a couple of months of his death. He knows, as he's penning this letter to Timothy, he knows he's not going to make it out this time. He's been in prison before. He's been beaten. He's endured a lot of, uh, of persecution for the gospel. And he knows that he's come to the end of the line. He knows that he's done, and this is going to be his last uh, letter. He realizes this is going to be it for him. And as he's writing this, we've, we've noticed and we've remarked how cool it's been that he's been so encouraging through it. You know, as he's writing to Timothy, he realizes, my ministry is complete, Timothy, but your ministry still lies in front of you. And he's writing this letter of encouragement. He's writing this letter to Timothy saying, Timothy, you've got to keep going. But we've also seen a lot of warnings in this letter. He's warned Timothy, you know, last week we saw him to tell Timothy, he said, Timothy, preach the word. Above all else, preach the word. He said, get away, get rid of the old arguments. Don't get stuck in the, in the bickering back and forth. He said, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. But he also told him to be ready. He said, to convince, to rebuke, and to exhort. And he told him why. He said, Timothy, there's coming a day, there's coming a time, and it's not going to be from now, far from now, when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to listen to the truth. They're going to raise up teachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear. They're not going to be focusing on the Word of God. They're going to be focusing on what people are saying about the Word of God. And they're going to find those people who are telling them exactly what they want to hear. And I say we're already there in that situation. I say that our churches are filled and with, with pastors that are, we have good intentions, but they're not teaching the Word of God. And you don't have to do it just like we do it to be teaching the Word of God, but I think it's important that you teach the full counsel of God, that you go through the Word of God, that you spend time explaining what the Scriptures mean, how to apply it to your life. After all, that's why you guys are here, because you want to hear, what does God's Word say to me? That's what we're all here for this morning. But he told him in verse 5, he said, Timothy, you be watchful in all things. I want you to endure the afflictions. And we go, we don't like that. But there's going to be afflictions in your life as well. Endure them. Endure them for the Lord. Endure the afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. And he left off with, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, you've been given a ministry. You've been given a calling. Go fulfill it. And last week we talked about, you too have been given a ministry. I've been given a ministry. It doesn't mean that you've called to be a pastor. You could be called to be a football player, and that's your ministry. You're going to share Christ in that. You could be called to be a teacher. You could be called to be a plumber. It doesn't mean just a ministry is not just a pastor or sitting, standing behind a pulpit or leading a youth group. or doing Ministry is your life. It should, you should see your life as a ministry, as an opportunity to serve God in whatever profession and whatever hobbies and, and whatever things that you've had. Whatever you do, there should be this ministry opportunity for you. Always be on guard. Always be looking for it. And as we come to the chapter or verse 6, Timothy's, or Paul's telling Timothy, he says, listen, my ministry's done, but your ministry may continue. Look at verse 6. He says, for I, this is Paul speaking, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has given me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Paul says to Timothy, listen, my ministry's ending, Timothy. My ministry's winding down, but your ministry continues. He says, I've finished mine. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering was brought before the Lord and was poured out on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord. It was pouring it out. It, it, it's the idea, the implication is there's nothing left in the cup. Paul says, I've poured out everything that I am. And he literally understands that he's facing an execution. He's going to be beheaded in just a short period of time. And he literally would be poured out for the Lord. He understood that would take place. As a Roman citizen, he wasn't allowed to be crucified, but he was allowed to be executed. I guess that's a better way to go. I mean, if you have to go, it might as well be quick as opposed to hanging on a cross or getting eaten by something. I think that would be the better choice. But Paul recognized his life as an offering. He saw his life, I've given my life to God. I've given my life to the ministry. I've given my life to the gospel. And he says, and this amazing, I've completed it. I've done it. And I have to stop just to ask a question. Have you given your life to God? You see, some people think that giving your life to God means all of a sudden you're going to go be eating bugs in Africa somewhere. And that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life, you know, living. That's not necessarily the truth. That might be something God called you to do, to be a missionary to another country, but he may call you to serve right where you're planted. You see, your first ministry is going to be right here at home. Your first ministry is to your family and your workplace, in your school, among your friends. That's where ministry starts. Once you're ministering there, then he can use you somewhere else. If someone were to come to me and say, I'm called to be a ministry, I'd say, what are you doing now in ministry? Are you ministering now? Are you, at home, what are you doing? You see, our ministry starts right where we're at. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I am being poured out. Notice what he says. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. He doesn't say I'm about to die. He says, what does he say? I'm departing. I'm departing. My life's not over. I'm just departing, Timothy. I'm just, I'm departing. And that word is kind of cool. It means to unloose. I'm being unloosed. I'm being unloosed, Timothy. It was a military term that was used for taking down a tent. It was a nautical term that was used for pulling up anchor. So it means I'm being untied, I'm being unloosed. Paul was a tent maker. So in a sense, he's saying to Timothy, this tent is being taken down, but I'm, not, I'm departing. I'm moving on from here. I'm carrying on. I've, I've, I'm, I'm leaving. My, the time of my departure is at hand. And Paul says, I'm ready. I'm ready for that, Timothy. He's saying, I'm ready to have my tent taken down. I'm ready to pull up anchor. I've, I've done all I can do. I've, I've bore all I could bear. I've, I've finished. I, I'm ready to go. Can you say that about your life if it was to end tonight? If your life was to be over tonight. Now, we don't have the luxury of knowing. Paul knows his life is about to end. But if your life was to end tonight, can you say the time of my departure is at hand? Can you make the following three statements? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Can we say that if our life was to end today, as Paul looks back over what he's done for the Lord, that's what he says. He says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. You see, here's what I've come to know. A lot of us haven't done that. We can't say that. Because we have this wrong perspective of our life. You see, we still think it belongs to us. And our God becomes something that we do on Sunday mornings as opposed to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our God becomes something that we do at church on Sunday. We want to we hear something nice and tell me that I'm okay and tell me my sins are forgiven. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a lifestyle that says I will follow Jesus Christ wherever he takes me. 
I will follow him if I get sick. I will follow him in the face of death. I will follow him in a difficult marriage. I will follow him in a difficult thing with my friends at school. I will follow him. I will be whatever he calls me to be. I will do whatever he calls me to do. My heart has to be to follow Christ. You see, I'm convinced that in America, especially the United States, you know, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians that are going to be sadly disappointed when the Lord returns. Because they think that they've prayed a prayer, because they think that they've gone forward in a church, they think, that they're, they think that they're okay. But that's not what a Christian is defined as by someone who's come forward and prayed a salvation prayer. A Christian is defined by somebody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, who's Christ-like, who's Christian. You know, I don't want you to get the wrong idea that because you come to this church that you can be saved. You're saved if you believe in Jesus Christ, not because you come to this church or any other church. You're saved because your, your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul, as he comes to the end, of the end of his life, it's absolutely amazing. Can you imagine who got to talk at Paul's funeral? There probably wasn't one. But can you imagine what you, what you could say about this man's life? You know, there's an old message that talks about what did you do with the dash in your life? All of our tombstones are going to have a, a date where we're born and a date where we die. And there's going to be a dash in the middle. And the question is, what did you do with the dash in your life? What did you do with it? Why did, how did you spend the dash in your life? Where did you spend it? Was it on you? Was it serving God? Was it chasing things of the world? What was it? The Apostle Paul, is he's facing death and he knows it, he, he writes this to Timothy, he looks back, he sums it up, he says, I've fought the good fight, Timothy. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight right now? What does, that, what does that even mean? The word have fought, or in the perfect tense in the Greek, it's speaking of an action completed in past, in the past, with present results. It means he's, he's done this. He's not, he's not saying, I'm fighting the good fight now. He's saying, I have been fighting the good fight, and now it's completed. I'm done fighting the good fight, but I have continued through fighting the good fight. And the good, the word good, what is a good fight? It refers to the external goodness as seen by the eye, as seen by the person. It's aesthetic. It's something you're looking at. So you could look at Paul's life and you could see this good fight. You could see this good fight taking place. The word fight, it refers to the Greek athletic contest, probably wrestling. He's probably referring to a wrestling match. I've, I've fought the good fight. It's like if you were watching a wrestling match and the wrestler did everything right, his moves were good, his technique was good, his speed and agility was good, he fought a good fight. That's what Paul's saying. My Christianity, my walk with the Lord has been a good fight. It's been a good fight. He's, in other words, it could even be said as I fought a beautiful fight. Paul's saying, I fought a beautiful fight that was clearly seen. What kind of fight are we fighting? Are you fighting a good fight? Are you fighting a beautiful fight? Are you fighting a, what are you fighting? What kind of fight? Here's what I've come to learn. Sometimes we fight stupid fights. We do. We fight the dumb things in life. We fight, you know, we, we fight with our spouses. We fight with our friends. We fight with our bosses. We fight with our coworkers. All of those things are dumb fights. They're stupid. They don't make any sense. Didn't Paul tell us in the book of Ephesians, didn't he say in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see, the problem with not fighting, we have to know who the enemy is. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your brother, your dad, your family, whoever the problem is, they're not your enemy. They're, they're not the enemy. Your fight with that person lies with the spiritual. It's in the spiritual realm where that fight's taking place. 
They're not, they're not your enemy. Paul says, I've fought that good fight. I've finished, and he goes on, he says, I've finished the race. The King James Version says, I've finished my course. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, or I've finished my course. And again, it's the Greek in the perfect tense. It means an action completed in the past with present results. He's finished. He's been running this race. He's been on this course. He's been, he, the Lord set him on a course on the road to Damascus. He was on a, his, his course originally was what? To persecute the church. From murder to uh, arresting to locking them up to dragging out. Christians were terrified of Saul. That was his name before he was Paul. They were terrified of him. But then on the road to Damascus, he got saved. He had an encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ. And his course changed. And now as he's coming to the end of his life, he says, I've finished that course. I've finished that course. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, it's his course. It's his course. You each, I have my own course to run. You can't run my course. I can't run your course. You can't run your neighbor's course or your husband's course or your wife's course we each have our own course to run we each have our own path to walk down with the lord are you on the course the lord laid out for you are you on the road that he's called you to be on you see we have choices in life where we can pick different ways to go can't we i can pick to go right or i can pick to go left i can follow the things of the world or i can go after the lord jesus christ what course are you on look down the road look farther ahead where's it leading you to is it leading you to a place where you can look back on your life and go, I've finished the race. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Or is it leading you to a place, well, I'm only going to be on this road for a little while. I'm hoping there's a turnoff up there. I'm hoping as I go down this sinful road, you know, it's kind of entertaining and it's kind of fun. It's kind of, well, I, I kind of enjoy it. I'm, I'm just going to go for a little while. I know what the word of God says and, and I'm just going to kind of experiment and, I, and I'm hoping there's going to be a turnoff up there so I can get back to the road that I'm supposed to be on. Be careful. Be careful with that. Because that turnoff may never come. You may get stuck on that road. You may get stuck there. What finish line are you heading for? When you look at the end of your life, what finish line? Where's, where do you see yourself finishing? How are you going to get there? Are you on the right path? Sometimes in a race, people go the wrong way, don't they? What happens? So the whole group will go this way. What does everybody do? They follow them. Before you know it, they're two, three, four miles off. It's, you can get off course real easy. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to know the path that's laid out before you. If you were to die tonight, can you say, I finished my course? I finished my course, Rob. Lord, I finished my course. I expect to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I've finished what God has called me to do. If my life ends tonight, then I'm ready to go because I've, I'm, I'm faithful. I hope that we can say that. If we can't say that, it's time to change courses. It's time to switch paths. It's time to move over and get going in the right direction. Because we don't know when our life will end. We're not sure when that will take place. Finishing your course, finishing your path is important. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Certainly he was talking about the payment for sin, but he was also talking about what God had given him to do. He's also talking about my, my work here is finished. My work here is done. I've completed the course that has been laid out for me. Would we consider our lives, what lies ahead of us, a course, an opportunity laid out for us to follow or us to get off course? If you're off course, today's the day to get back on course. If you're on course, praise the Lord. 
That's great. Encourage somebody else. If you're on course, praise God that you're on course. Not everybody's going to be off course. Maybe you're only off course a little bit. Maybe you're still kind of, you're just on the, on the gutter. You're just in the, in the, get back on the road. Maybe you're kind of headed in the right direction. You're just kind of off a little bit. That's right. Get back in the road. Get back to, to where you need to be going. But notice Paul says this, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. That word kept, it means to keep by guarding, to watch over. I've guarded my faith. I've kept my faith. And the word faith here, it means this. It means a deposit of truth which God had entrusted Paul with. It means God had given Paul something, and Paul has kept that. He's guarded it. I'm glad that he did. We wouldn't have the New Testament the way that we do if he hadn't. Paul had, God had given God, Paul insight to the gospel. He'd given insight to the word of God, insight to the new covenant that nobody else had. And Paul guarded that. I've kept it. I've stayed faithful to it. I've, I've stayed loyal to it. He's guarded the truth that was given to him. He's defended against the attacks, hasn't he? Who, the Gnostics came against him. The Judaizers came against him. The philosophers of Athens came against him. He defended the faith vigorously. He kept it. He guarded it. He watched over it. And I have to wonder, are we doing that? Can we say at the end of our life, I've guarded the faith. I've kept the faith. I've taken the very thing that God has planted in my heart for me, and I've guarded it. I haven't let anybody come in. I haven't let the world sneak in and take it away. I haven't let the advertisers tell me I need something different. I haven't let my flesh lead me away from what God's called me to do. I've guarded it. I've protected it. You see, it's important that we understand as Christians that we have to guard and protect what the Lord gives us. Because there is a real live enemy that wants to take it away from you. There's a real live enemy that wants to stomp on you and wants to put you down and tell you you're no good and tell you that you're not worthy. And you have to protect and you go back to God's word and to the truth of God's word. And you remember, I'm not worthy, but, but he made me worthy. You know, I'm not able, but he makes me able. He's stronger. I'm not stronger. In my weakness, he is made strong. We go back to those promises and go, God gets the glory for that. You see, Paul comes, he says, I've kept the faith. You see, I want all of us at the end of our life to be able to say those three things. I want you to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course that I've been given to run. I've guarded and defended the truth, the faith of God's word that I've been given. I want to do your funeral and be able to stand up here and say those things, that you have accomplished and completed those things. And I want the church to be around and go, yes, we watched it. We walked with them in that. Isn't that what we really want? Christians, we have to guard ourselves against the world because it wants to pull you away in the worst way. When you watch TV, and I'm not against TV, I have a TV, I'm not one of the anti-TV people, but I will say be careful with the commercials. They're going to tell you you need to buy things that you don't need. They're, they're going to drag you away. You're going to look at the neighbor's house, oh, I, need, I need what they have. You walk your course. You walk the course that God gave you to walk, and don't worry about somebody else's course. Don't let somebody tell you what you need in this book has everything that you need, and don't sacrifice it. Now look why Paul did all this. Paul, why would you do all this? Paul, you, you, you gave up all the things of the world. You were brilliant. You were, you were a Pharisee of Pharisees. You were smart. You were powerful. You had, and you gave it all up. Why? And look what he says in verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to have loved his appearing. Paul knew he was victorious when he was writing this. He didn't write, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope I get a good crown. He said, no, there is a crown of righteousness. Finally, there's laid up for me. It's already there. He knew that he was victorious. He knew the crown was waiting for him because of the life that he had lived. 
because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's two different crowns in the New Testament. One's called a diadem. It refers to a royal crown, like meaning a, a, a leader or a king. The other, which is, which is what we see here, is called a stephanos. That means a victor's crown. So he's using this, using this athletic analogy here, saying, I've finished the match, and now I'm going to receive the victorious crown from the righteous judge. In, in, in the Greek culture, it would be the referee, but he knows the Lord is the righteous judge, and he's saying, I'm receiving this because I've finished the match, I've finished the race. He sees that, as he refers to this victorious crown, it's indicating he had won. Now notice, at the end of the race, it doesn't matter how he looks. In the world's perspective, does Paul look like he's won? Actually, it looks like he's failed, doesn't it? Paul, if you're so powerful and your God is so great, why are you in jail? Paul, if you're, if you're so powerful and your God is so great, we're going to see in just a few short verses, why have most of your friends forsaken you? Paul, if you're so powerful, you're so great, why are you in this situation that you're in? You see, Paul wasn't concerned what the world saw in his life. What he was concerned with is what God saw in his life, what his Savior saw in his life. And he could confidently say that in his life, his Savior saw that he had fought the good fight, that he had finished the race, and that he had kept the faith. That's what God saw in his life. But notice what he also says. Look at the last part of the verse. This crown of righteousness is not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To all who have loved his The promise is for us. Do you see yourself in that verse? The promise is for us. If we fight the good fight, if we finish the race, if we keep the faith, we too, on that day that we come face to face with the Lord, whether it be the rapture of the church or our body fails and we're taken out of this, off this earth, we have the opportunity to receive this crown of righteousness. But it's going to require us to serve the Lord. The things that we do on this earth as Christians matter in eternity. We need to make sure that we understand that. The life that we live today and tomorrow and this coming week, the choices you make are going to make a difference in eternity. Not for judgment. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be judged for your sins, but you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded for your good works. You will be rewarded for fighting the good fight. You will be rewarding. When you get to the finish line, it doesn't matter how you look. It matters that you finished the race. It matters that you made it there, that you got across the finish line, that you didn't give up. It didn't matter that you were hurt, that you were sick, that you didn't feel good. It mattered that you finished the race. It mattered that you finished. Do you think in a race that people want to give up? Yeah. Joe. See, Joe, raise your hand, Joe. He doesn't know what I'm going to say yet. He, he, he's a runner. If you don't know, Joe's a runner. He ran a race about a month ago. 102 miles? 102.9 miles. Don't forget the point nine. That's a race. It took him 30 hours to do it. You know what I asked him? I said, hey, did you want to quit? And he goes, oh, yeah. I wanted to quit many times. He goes, but I kept going. I go, did you run the whole way? He goes, impossible. He goes, sometimes the terrain was just too rough to run. I couldn't run. I had to, I had to slow down and navigate the terrain. Isn't that kind of like life? Sometimes we're running, we're pressing forward. We, we have to press forward. There's, a time, there's times where you go, I just want to give up. I just want to quit finish the race. He finished the race. He finished that race. It's an analogy of, of what our life is like. Will you finish your race well? Will you get to the end? It doesn't matter if you're limping across and your feet hurt and you can barely make it. And you know, Will you keep pressing forward to finish that race? I will. I'm planning on it. But it doesn't mean that even though you set out to start, 
doesn't say start the race, it says finish the race. I read an article this week about the 1960, I think it was the 68 Olympics. There was a marathon runner from Tanzania, all right, and he, partway through, about halfway through the race, he uh, fell and hurt his leg. I don't know if he broke his knee, part of it or dislocated. He did something to his leg. And it took him a really long time to finish the race. I think it was an hour after the last person crossed, he came across the finish line. The stands were empty, the lights were going off, but he finished the race. And the news reporter asked him, they said, why, did you, why didn't you just give up? I mean, you're hurt, you're, he could barely move. And, and he said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. That's what our Lord calls us to do, finish the race. Will you finish the race? As Paul moves into this next section, he's going to talk about some personal things and some people. He begins to close out the book with some personal notes and some needs. Look at verse 9. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Paul was almost all alone. And he wanted fellowship. Be diligent to come to me quickly. But notice he mentions Demas. He mentions Demas here. And you say, well, you just might read over that, but I want you to know something. Demas is mentioned three times in Paul's letter. The first time in Philippians chapter, or chapter, there's only one chapter, Philippians 24, Paul mentions Demas as a fellow laborer in Christ. He's a fellow laborer. The second time he's mentioned in Colossians 4.25, he's just mentioned as Demas. Just Demas. He's just Demas. And here the third time he's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's mentioned as someone who has forsaken Paul for the love of this world. He's left Paul. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas didn't finish his race. Demas was pulled off course. He was going in the wrong direction. And I have to ask, where are we going? We start out good. Yeah, I'm, I'm lo- yeah praise the Lord, let's do good. Following you. And then Tuesday rolls around. And here we are, off on the wrong course. Demas is mentioned those three times. Demas loved the world. If you're a Bible student, that word love, it's agape. Agapeo is what it means. That's the unconditional love. That's the love that God represents. It's his love that was coming out of him was for the things of the world. That's what he wanted, the thing, the stuff. He's left Paul. He's left Christianity. He's left the ministry for the things of the world. Demas, For God so loved, that's the agape, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. That's agape. For God so loved, Demas so loved the world that he gave himself to it. He loved the world so much he gave himself over to it. Didn't want the things of the Lord anymore. If you and I are not careful, the things of this world will get us off course and we'll end up forsaking those things that really matter. It can happen very easily. Nobody, make, nobody plans it. Demas didn't just wake up one morning and decide, you know what, I'm just done with this whole God thing. I'm, I'm, you know, Paul, he's, I'm, I'm just done. It's a little compromise here. It's a little compromise there. It's a little bit here, a little bit there. It usually starts with leaving the fellowship, leaving away from Christian fellowship, not reading your word, not studying, not, not praying. It starts this little compromise. Before you know it, you're going, how did I get where I am? How did I get so far off? You see, the wonderful thing is though you don't have to stay there. You can always come back. That's the grace and the mercy of the Lord. But if we're not careful, we can end up just like that. He tells us in verse 11, his only Luke is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he's useful to me for ministry. Tychus, I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left 
with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Luke has been a faithful companion of Paul for years, wrote the book of Luke underneath the supervision of Paul. He was a doctor. He's been traveling with Paul. I think it was since his second missionary journey, and uh, he's been faithful with Paul. But notice he says, get Mark. Get Mark. Get Mark. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 40, you can jot it down and look at it later, Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along on the missionary journey, and Paul said, absolutely not. He's forsaken me. So in, as, in order to settle this dispute between Paul and Barnabas, they separated. Paul went his way, Barnabas went his way, all over Mark. And I like that it's in this book, because you know what it shows us? It shows us Paul practices what he preaches. It shows us that Paul reconciled with Mark, and most people believe this is the Mark that wrote the book of Mark, John Mark. That's what most, most Bible scholars would believe. But Paul, he, he built that relationship back up. It didn't, they didn't just stay separate. Although they separated for a season, now we realize, what does Paul say? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Paul recognized the working of the Lord in Mark's life and reconciled with that. Oh, that reconciliation has to be beautiful, has to be wonderful. Sometimes you have to reconcile even if you didn't do anything wrong. Just for the Lord's sake. I'm just going to go, I'm going to reconcile just because I, I, I just need to. And other times you can't because the person won't let you. But I think the heart of Paul there we see, it's reconciled. It's evident, this, this area of scripture is an evidence of a restored relationship between Paul and Mark. He also says, bring the cloak. I left with Carpus at Troas. Just possibly Troas is the place where Paul got arrested. You see, his cloak was his outer garment, his outer robe, if you will. Uh, It's possible that he realized the arrest was coming, and he said, hey, take my cloak off. Why would he do that? Because as a Roman soldier, when you arrested somebody, you got to keep everything they had. So as a way of not losing his cloak, Paul Paul may have given it to uh, Carpus and said, hey, get this to me later when I need it. It's it's, it's possible we're, we're not given that completely, but we think it's possible. So he may have been arrested this time in Troas. Uh, he also wanted his books and his parchments. Send me, your, send me the books and the parchments. What do you think he was asking for? Well, the parchments were the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. The books, we're not sure what they were, but I, I'm sure it wasn't fiction books. I'm sure it was biblically-based scriptures-type books. He wanted, to, he wanted these things. Interestingly enough, he knew his death was coming, but he didn't know when it was coming, and he wanted to continue studying and reading up until the very last moment. His scholarly, his scholarship continued. He was going to continue reading and studying up till that very last moment. And then he says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Notice Paul's warning Timothy. Hey, Timothy, that guy Alexander, I told you about him in, in the first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul mentions Alexander as someone whose faith had suffered shipwreck, is what he said. That was 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, 10, verse 20. Now he's warning him about the same man. Perhaps he was a traitor, perhaps he had testified against Paul in the Roman government, we're not sure. Maybe he's even the one responsible for Paul's current imprisonment, we're not sure either way. But what we do know is Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, be careful, he's coming against you. You see, sometimes in Christianity, we don't don't want to, no, no, I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody. No, if someone is hurting the faith or hurting the believers, we need to know about that. That's something that needs to be taken care of. You know, Paul's telling Timothy, hey, watch out for, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. He was a metal worker. Watch out for him. 
Watch out for him. Stay away from him. He's done me much harm. He's not bashing him. He's just simply telling him the truth. Then at verse 16, he goes on to say, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Just like Jesus, right? No one stood with me. I'm all alone. No one stood with me. It's possible, this is the defense, that he was in front of Caesar Nero and shared the gospel. It's very possible that he stood there at what this trial that he's talking about and shared the gospel with Caesar Nero. Or this could have come later. It may have been later in, in, at that point. Either way, he, we know that Paul was a man who would share the gospel. At his defense, he had nobody standing with him. Think about that for a minute. The Apostle Paul wrote majority of the New Testament. Amazing man of God. Amazing leader. Amazing teacher. Oh, if we could just, if you could just get his MP3 of one of his teachings, can you imagine what it would have been like? You could just hear it. Maybe we could just, we could just watch the video of what Paul would be teaching. I'd just love to hear it. And nobody stood with him. Not one. Yet he remained faithful. He remained faithful. He didn't need the people. He wasn't out to impress the crowds. He wasn't concerned about the people. He was concerned about his faithfulness to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was willing to stand alone on trial with nobody there. No one stood with me and strengthened me. I'm sorry, no one stood with me in my defense. But look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. He goes, none, none of my friends, all gone. He goes, but God stood with me. Notice what else God did. God strengthened me. He strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. At his very trial, he's preaching, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, just throw this in there, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord strengthened Paul. The Lord was with him. He said, listen, Timothy, the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion. Can you imagine? Like they threw me to the lions. The lions weren't hungry that day. They threw me to the lions. They tried to kill me that way. Didn't work. Didn't work. The Lord delivered me. Here's Paul understanding that the Lord will deliver him if it's his will. Whatever time I have, Timothy, I'm not worried about being delivered. I know the Lord will deliver me. I've seen the Lord deliver me time and time and time again. If you are a seasoned Christian, you can say the exact same thing. You may not have been delivered out of the mouth of a lion, but you can say, I've watched God work in my life here. I've watched God do something miraculous here. I've seen God do something there. I've seen, if you haven't seen God work, you're not letting him work. You may not get out of, you know, escape the mouth of a lion. You may not escape death. But if you need, if you, if you can't look back over your life and say, this is what God's done, I would really ask yourself this question. Am I really following? Am I on the course? He brings us to difficult situations so that he can carry us through them that he can test us. He he brings us to those reasons because he wants to show us that he's faithful. When you study the scriptures, don't you see the faithfulness of God? From Genesis to Revelation, wow, amazing. God's faithful. And look what he says. To him be the glory forever and ever. Either way, whatever happens, Timothy, God be the glory. It reflects his unreasonable optimism. It reflects his joy. He's facing the last moments of his life Here he is in jail. He's no money, no friends, no possessions. He's cold. He doesn't have enough clothing. He's facing his last moments of his life. He's destined to die soon. Yet he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. 
God be the glory. You know, we get uncomfortable for like three seconds and we're like, Lord, where are you? My air conditioner's broke. It's hot. God, where are you? My car broke down today. I got a flat tire. I'm going to be 15 minutes late for work. And we worry about this stuff and it drives and it knocks us off. Our, our, our life, our road, our path. Stop worrying about that stuff. Get that right perspective of a heavenly, eternal mindset. We're only pilgrims and sojourners in this land. Thank goodness this isn't it. If it was, oh, we'd be in trouble. And he says in verse 19, Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anisphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. That's interesting too. Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Paul was a man used by God to heal many people. He healed lots of people. He healed, I mean, we read about it, he was, they, they were healing people that just, they were walking by and healing people. Paul himself was not able to be healed. And here we read of somebody else that was not able to be healed. You see, there's a movement within Christianity that says if you can't get healed, you don't have enough faith. This speaks in the face of that movement as being false. I think if anybody could heal somebody, it would have been the Apostle Paul, don't you? Paul says, I left, I left him in Miletus sick. Trophimus, I've left in Miletus sick. Charles Spurgeon preached a whole message on just those words. He preached the whole message. He had three main points in it. It was called the, the man or the sick man left behind. And these were his three main points. Number one, it's the will of God that some men should be in ill health. Some men are going to be sick. That's, that's just the way God has planned it sometimes. He's gonna, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. It's, it's, just, it's just God's plan. We don't know why. We don't know what the purpose is. We don't know what he's trying to teach. But sometimes that's going to take place. Number two, good men may be laid aside when they seem to be most needed. In other words, in the ministry, there might be people that are going to have to be set aside even though they seem really, really important and really needed here. They're going to be, they could be laid aside. Number three, good men would have the Lord's work go on no matter what becomes of them. Meaning, meaning a, a godly man is going to say, the Lord's work needs to continue even if I can't be the one doing it. Even if I have to be laid aside. Even if I have to be the one that's sick. You know, Paul left... Trophimus and Miletus sick. And then he goes on to tell uh, Timothy, do your utmost to come before winter. And he greets a few other friends there. And he says in verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Grace be with you. Amen. Can you get there before winter? Because it's getting cold. If I'm still around, I'd like to have that cloak, Timothy. I'd really like to. It shows, Paul's, Paul, it shows he's human. He's got needs. I'm cold. I'm in prison. It's damp down here. I'd really like to have this. Now, we know that according to church tradition, Paul was beheaded. Most people think it was on the same day that Peter was crucified upside down. Paul wasn't able to be crucified because he was a Roman citizen. Peter refused to be crucified upright because he said, I, I refuse to die in the ma same manner as my Lord. So we see Paul's outcome. Church history tells us the scripture doesn't give it to us, but church history tells us that he was crucified upside down. And at the end of Paul's life, we just read, he said this, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Take inventory of your own life. What course are you on? Where are you headed this morning? Where are you going? What finish line are you looking up the road at? Have you gone down the wrong path and you're off course, need to turn back? Today's the day to turn back. Or are you on the right course? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you, are you moving forward? Praise the Lord for it. Praise the Lord. 